Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 3. Three pages into the Bible we are. Genesis chapter 4. Let me encourage you. Um, you, you will not want to close your Bible. Uh, you, you may even want to consider just having the bullets in handy. Uh, we're going to need numerous passages from the New Testament. Uh, we're going to look and see uh, not just what Genesis 4 uh, says, but how the New Testament understands uh, Genesis chapter 4. So, uh, Genesis 4, the first 16 verses. Let me ask that you stand as we read God's Word together. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray together. Lord Christ, we come to you now as our prophet, asking that you would reveal to us by your word and spirit your will for our salvation. Grant that we might hear and understand Your Word, that we might read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest that which has been written for our edification. Sanctify us by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Through Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'll spare you the details, though uh, they really aren't that bad. 
Some of you have heard them. I promise they're not that bad. But I'll still spare you the details. In my um, experience, in our experience, uh, septic tanks don't back up the way Old Faithful erupts. That's good news, right? They just kind of ooze. I mean, septic tanks maybe sort of back up. They, they get full. They're not draining right. And, and all of a sudden, there's water in your house where there shouldn't be water. Your sinks don't drain well. Things don't flush right. I mean, you, you see the problem. You see the dilemma. Just all of a sudden discover that there's, there's water. Thankfully, shower water. Just oozing back into your bathroom. Old Faithful, on the other hand, erupts you know, hundreds of feet into the air thousands of gallons of water, over 200 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, suddenly and, and yes, regularly, although not precisely regularly. There's a, there's a range there. But, but it does, I mean, it shoots flying up out of the ground, 130, 140, 150 feet into the air all of a sudden. Thankfully, that's not the way septic tanks back up into your house. That is, however, how sin explodes into creation. Remember for a second, we are now one generation after sin has been introduced to the world. As Moses is writing Genesis, we're one chapter after sin being introduced into the world. And it doesn't gradually seep its way from one generation to the next until all of a sudden, somewhere way down the road, you get really bad sin. No, no, it, it erupts, it explodes onto the scene in one generation, in one chapter. It, it suddenly and seriously jumps to great heights Maybe I should say great depths, but that's not how Old Faithful goes. It explodes onto the scene. In fact, it goes from one sort of, admit it, in, in your mind, eating some fruit from a tree, in your mind, pales in comparison to murder. In our minds, in our sort of, fallen sinful minds that that evaluate well i mean violating god's law is violating god's law but but we still go eating fruit seems far insignificant compared to murder and in one generation and in one chapter that's the leap the step we take sin of course leads to death And we see here in Genesis 4 the tale of three deaths. Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and his younger brother, Abel. 
Eve seems to think Cain is this promised seed of, of Genesis 3.16. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It's, it's odd, confusing sort of language, but she, she seems to think this is the one that God told me about back when my husband and I sinned against God. This is the promised seed. That seems to be in her mind as she exclaims, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She thinks Cain's the one. Cain is a a farmer. Abel is a shepherd. And in verse 3, both of them uh, at... Uh, in the course of time, bring an offering to God. Even the language there, in the course of time, it has this idea, this notion of an appointed time. Like there was a designated time when they were to bring an offering. We don't know if this had been a a long-standing practice. We're not given any of that information. But they both come. They come and make an offering to God. And here's where the tension really sort of kicks in. Because notice that God accepts Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. We're told in in verses 4 and 5 that he had regard for Abel's sacrifice, but for Cain, he did not. I hope you're asking the question, I mean, what's the difference? I mean, I, I... you have to at least right then and there say, well, well, why? I mean, why did God accept one and not the other? What is different about Abel's sacrifice or Abel that, that his, he and his sacrifice would be accepted and that Cain and his sacrifice would not? Look at verse 3. Look at the way Cain's offering is described. First of all, here's one thing you notice about it. He brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, you might get your hands and, and face a little red if you eat a pomegranate or something, but there's no blood in the fruit of the ground. You bring crops, you bring things out of your garden and offer them to God, there's no blood there. It's a bloodless sacrifice. He doesn't, he doesn't bring a blood offering. He brings instead the fruit of the ground or the, the fruit of the earth. He brings some of his crops, fruits and vegetables, grain, whatever it is he's bringing. It lacks blood. There's no blood sacrifice. Now realize, of course, that Moses' audience would have noticed that right away. They immediately would have picked up on, wait, 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 there's no blood there. Notice the second, uh, a second reason that his uh, sacrifice, his offering would not be accepted. Notice the way Moses describes, just read the language of verse 3. You, you almost get the sense that Moses is saying, well, he brought some fruit and vegetables. He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't go into great detail praising the offering. He, he brought some fruit. He brought some of, the, some of his crops. 
There's, there's no extra language. He, Moses seems to be so matter-of-fact and almost, almost like humdrum about the offering itself, even in the way he writes this passage. Okay, now to be fair, let's, let's be fair, right? So far, you and I have not yet run across a command for a blood sacrifice. Now, we have, we have seen an animal sacrificed so that God Himself might make clothes to cover the sin and guilt of Adam. But there's, no, there's not yet been a clear command to bring a blood sacrifice. And in some ways, Cain is mentioned first in verse 3 as bringing the offering. You almost wonder if it wasn't his idea. You almost get the sense, if you read verses 3 and 4, that, that maybe he even led the way in that. But clearly throughout the rest of Scripture, coming into God's presence requires blood. Cain just offers some fruit of the ground. Compare that though to the way Abel's sacrifice is described in verse 4. Notice as you read the description, all the words that will strike a chord with you all the, the concepts and ideas that will remind you of the rest of the Bible. Notice verse 4, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. First of all, he brings a sheep. So now we've got a blood offering. Uh, Abel brings an animal. An animal whose, whose life is going to be lost, whose blood is going to be shed as an offering to God. So he brings from his flock. But he doesn't grab the runt or the one with the broken leg or just some random uh, sheep out in the flock. He brings the firstborn, the, the choice offering, the choice animal from the flock. And then it goes on, not just the firstborn of his flock, but of their fat portions. He brings the good part of the good animal in the flock. He brings the best of the best from what he has. There's blood, and, and again, Moses goes out of his way to say, oh, by the way, it's the good cut, choicest part of the animal from the choicest animal. And again, Moses' audience, Moses' initial readers would have picked up on the difference. Abel brings a better sacrifice than Cain. There's another distinction though between them and, and we read it just a few minutes ago in our New Testament uh, reading. We read in, in Hebrews 11 that Abel is described there by the writer of Hebrews in verse 4 by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and though his and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. There's another distinction, not just between the offerings themselves, but Abel brings his in faith. Cain just offers some fruit of the ground out of duty. 
it seems. Cain, you could look at Cain's offering and say, well, he makes an offering to God as Creator. Abel makes an offering to God as Redeemer. Abel's living by faith. Abel's looking to the promised seed. Abel's looking to the one who is to come. He offers this blood sacrifice. Of course, it's more than Cain could bear. Jealous anger rises up within him. He calculates plans. He makes plans in verse 8. He speaks with his brother Abel. No, the conversation isn't recorded. No, we're not told what he said, but you know what he said. Come on, let's go out into the field. Come on, I'll, I'll meet you out there. At... He's, he's planning. He's plotting. He knows exactly what he's going to do. And while they're out in the field, he rises up and, and kills his brother with his own hands. Uh, maybe he has a knife. But he's, he's not shooting him from a long way away. He, he rises up and, and kills his own brother with his own bare hands. Where should Abel be safer than with his older brother? He should be at perfect peace and comfort in the presence of his older brother. His older brother should take care of him. He should love him and care for him and protect him. He should not at all be afraid to to go out into the field with Cain. We should be safest with our own flesh and blood, with our own family. The first human death in the Bible does not come as a result of old age. The the first human death in the Bible isn't, and so and so lived to be 983 years and died with many sons and daughters. And the first human death in the Bible is cold-blooded family brother murder. Seen sin explodes onto the scene. Cain kills his brother Abel. The real reason he can't kill Abel though, he's not really angry at Abel. He's angry at Abel. His real problem is he can't kill God. His real problem is he's angry because God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not his. God accepted Abel and his offering and not himself and not his own offering. And he's angry at God, but he can't kill God. So he kills Abel, God's image bearer. He takes it out on his brother instead. Believers, this has implication for us, does it not? You know, we read in the news or we watch the news or we hear stories, we hear reports of Christian missionaries put to death in various parts of the world or held in prison illegally and unjustifiably 
Or for that matter, you go through uh, trials of various kinds. Your neighbors won't invite you over anymore. Your co-workers uh, talk about you behind your back. And for that matter, stop talking when you walk into the break room. Uh, you, you have these, these relational problems. Are you, are you surprised at all when the world hates you? I mean, are you, are you still just a little bit shocked when unbelievers, when non-Christians, when unregenerate man wants to do everything it can to destroy Christianity, you, your faith, all that you believe? It shouldn't shock us one bit. The, we're, we're, we have two sons, we have two people added to the number of people on the earth and already unrepentant, unregenerate, unbelieving man is trying to destroy those who identify with Christ. Yes, people are going to want to stifle your views. Yes, they're going to want to take away your seat at the table of ideas. Yes, they're going to want to shun you in every way they possibly can if they can't physically kill you. But it shouldn't surprise us when the world rejects Christ, Christ told us as much, and therefore rejects His followers. Cain wants to kill God. That's the atheist mantra, by the way. You know that. The atheist mantra, there is no God and I hate Him. Cain wants to kill God and can't, and so he has to take out his anger, his vengeance, his revenge on God's image bearer, his brother Abel. The first death in this passage is Abel's physical death. There's a second death in this passage. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. God knows Cain's heart. Abel and Cain have made an offering to God. Abel's offering has been accepted. Cain's has not And God knows exactly what's going on inside Cain. He can see the anger seething within him. The hatred boiling over from inside his heart. God knows exactly what's going on with Cain. And for that matter, it's not just inside of Cain. It's also outside of him because his face fell. You do this. Some of you get angry, and the world knows it. You think you're hiding it. You think you're keeping it under control. You think no one knows. His shoulders are slumped. His face is downcast. The scowl, the anger, the look on his face betrays the anger in his heart. And God comes to him and And says, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? You implied here is, you should have known his offering was going to be accepted and yours would not. You you can still not give in to temptation, Cain. 
If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain, why are you like this? You should have known how I am to be worshipped. You should have known your offering was not going to be accepted, and His was. You should have known that if you worship God according to His commands, then your offering, your sacrifice, your, your, your worship will be accepted by Him. Don't miss this, by the way. This actually was the topic of conversation at leadership training this past Wednesday night. We worship God according to the commands that He's given. He says, this is how I am to be worshipped. And so, anything outside of that, we are not going to do in worship. He's commanded us how He is to be, to be worshipped. And we therefore come according to His commands, according to His will. We don't decide how God is to be worshipped. Do you have the sense here that Cain just thought he would do what he thought he would do? Rather than come to God under God's terms, according to God's commands. He can still avoid temptation. He's, he's plotting evil in his heart. He's seething with anger. He, could, he doesn't have to yet give in. If you do well, you'll be accepted. If not, the image, sin crouching at the door. You have in your mind the image of, a, of an animal, a cat probably, who naturally do so well at just squatting down to the ground, getting as low as they can with their, their focus on that mouse or that bird or that fluffy thing in the ground, whatever it is they're about to attack. And they, they crawl. They sneak. They gradually get closer and closer until the unsuspecting mouse is all of a sudden under its paws in its teeth. Sin is crouching at the door. It wants Cain. It seeks Cain. Its desire is to take Cain. You must rule over it, God says to Cain. There's, a, there's still a chance to turn from sin. There's still a chance to not carry through the plan that's going on in his heart and his mind. Cain, however, refused to fight the sinful, wicked desire in his heart. He gladly, eagerly yielded to this temptation. And even after he's killed his brother, God says, where is Abel your brother? This is the second time that God's asked a question you know he knows the answer to. Where is Abel your brother? And you get this defiant response from Cain. How am I supposed to know? He's not my job. It's not, it's not my day to keep up with him. I have Thursdays. Today's Wednesday. It's somebody else's job to keep track of my brother. I'm not his keeper. He's not my responsibility. And the reality is, of course, yes, he is. He denies guilt. He denies responsibility. He lies to God. 
He knows exactly where Abel is. He knows exactly where he left his younger brother's body lying out in that field. John Owen, the English Puritan, famously wrote, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Sin destroys. You don't play with sin the way a mouse, I mean the way a cat plays with a mouse when he's caught it. You play with sin the way I treat snakes. I don't care what kind of snake, because I'm not going to take the time to find out. There are only two things you do with a snake. You either run from it, or you kill it. I don't care what kind it is, they're all scary to me. I don't like any of them. I know there's some good ones, I know there's some out there that do some good things, but that requires like examining the snake, and looking for markings, and being close, and I'm not willing to do that. Do you play with sin? Do you, do you kind of let it fester? Do you, do you let it kind of, do you roll it around in your, in your paws like the way a, a, a cat plays with a mouse when he's finally caught it? The, the warning here is grab a knife, drive it deep into the heart of sin. Destroy it. Kill it or it will kill you. Cain gives in. Cain Cain caves. He gives in to to sin. And even through the rest of the passage, he's far more interested in his own self-preservation. God, this punishment that you've given is more than I can bear. You know, the, the real problem, verse 14, is that now somebody's going to kill me. You're banishing me from your presence Somebody's going to kill me. Who's going to protect me? He's far more concerned with himself, with his own self-preservation. Throughout the whole passage, Cain only cares for Cain. He doesn't care for God. He doesn't care for God's Word. He doesn't care for God's commands. He doesn't care for Abel. He never repents, never confesses, never admits guilt, never yields to God's lawful judgment. He pleads that the punishment is going to be too much, it's going to be too, too hard, and now my life is in danger. God, protect me. His only concern in verses 13 and 14 is for his own safety. Cain's death is spiritual death. Notice verse 16, where Cain ends up. The worst possible place any of us could find ourselves. Not the land of Nod. Not east of Eden. But away from the presence of Yahweh. Away from the presence of the Lord. Cain has been banished away from the presence of the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Am I being too harsh? Let me show you what the New Testament says about Cain. Turn with me all the way to Jude, the next-to-last book of the Bible. Get to Revelation, back up to Revelation 1, and then just back up one more page. 
Jude is all of one chapter. It is, it is one page. Well, in most Bibles, it's one page. And notice what Jude says about Cain. Verse 10. These people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Do you see the the way of Cain is any way that is not God's way. The way of Cain is permanent rebellion against God. Back up to 1 John chapter 3. For me, it's two pieces of paper, two pages. And I'm in 1 John 3. Look at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do you see the picture? The picture that the New Testament paints of Cain is he's not the seed of the woman as Eve thought he might be, but instead the seed of the serpent, representing all who oppose Christ and His people for all eternity. The way of Cain. Don't be like Cain who murdered his brother because he cared more about himself than righteousness, than obedience to God. The way of Cain is those who oppose God and His people. Cain is of the seed of the serpent. He's in the wrong line. He's not in the seed of the woman as Eve thought. He's of the seed of the serpent. Let me make a a small application here. Learn to read your Bible covenantally. Learn to see God's gradual unfolding of His covenant of grace as you read the Bible. If you keep in your mind this this battle, this ongoing enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, you will see this over and over and over again. Those who live by faith, as we just sang, the seed of the woman anticipating the promised Messiah Versus those who live by sight, the the seed of the serpent, those who oppose Christ and all his people. Abel dies physically, Cain dies spiritually, permanently. We have no reason in the Bible to think that Cain ever repented. We have no reason in the Bible to think that Cain was ever came to faith. In fact, we have every reason to believe that's not the case. That's exactly the way the the New Testament comments on Cain. Abel dies physically. Cain dies spiritually. There's a third death in this passage. Well, it's, it's not exactly explicitly in this passage. 
But this passage does very clearly point to a third death. Look at verse 10 with me. The Lord said, he's speaking to Cain here, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What's Abel's blood saying? What would the blood of murdered, innocent, younger brother Abel be crying out to God? What's he, what's he pleading? Well, he's, he's crying out for revenge. He's crying out for God's justice to be handed out to all who oppose God's people. He's, he's crying that God's justice would be, would be his his protector, that God would bring vengeance and revenge on Cain and defend Abel, though he now is already in the ground. He's crying out for justice and vengeance. But did you notice Hebrews 12? Did you notice what we, what we read earlier in our, our New Testament reading? Turn there with me. Because there's another voice there's more blood, the blood of another one who cries out a better word than that of Abel. Another who was also righteous and undeserving of death, who had been perfectly and completely obedient to the Father, and yet was, by those who oppose Christ and His people, was brutally murdered. Why? Because He's righteous. Look at Hebrews 12, verse 24. We've come, and, and this, the picture here is the kingdom to which we belong. We even use this from time to time as a call to worship uh, on Sunday mornings. We have come among the list to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cries out for justice. Abel's blood cries out for revenge. Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. It speaks a, a better word than justice. It speaks a better word than revenge. That word is mercy and grace. We've come to the blood of Christ. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, if He is your hope of salvation, if He's your hope of deliverance, if you're looking to His blood and life and death and burial and resurrection in your place, even as Abel was anticipating the promised Messiah, if that's your hope, His blood doesn't cry out, Father, punish those people. Destroy those people who trust in Me. Pour out Your justice on them. No, His blood says, Father, give them mercy. Give them grace. Because I've shed my blood that they might not die. Oh, we may die physically. We may endure the first death. But through the blood of Christ, through the word that it speaks that's better than that of the blood of Abel, we don't have to face the second death. Spiritual death. Eternity removed away from the presence of the Lord. Is that your hope? Is that your confidence? Are you still trusting in your own work? Are you still trusting in your own merits? Do you still plan to show up at God's throne one day and say, God, 
look at the stuff. This is the stuff I have to offer you. He will say, that is, that's the wrong offering. You didn't come in blood. You didn't come in the blood of my Son, Jesus Christ. You can't offer me just whatever you want. You come instead in the, the blood of my Son, Jesus Christ. The blood that, that cries out mercy for His people. Only then will we too be accepted. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You have endured suffering and death at the hands of even Your own people, Your own family, as it were. That they would, just in anger and hatred for Your righteousness, wrongly, falsely accuse You and therefore murder You. But we thank You that You endured that that Your blood has been shed in our place and for us, that we might come into the presence of God with a blood sacrifice, not some lamb we grabbed from the flock in our yard, but the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God, in whose name we pray. Amen.